Give the gift of liberty this holiday season by becoming a Cato sponsor on behalf of a friend or loved one. Visit cato.org slash podcast sponsor. And if you support our work with a thousand dollars or more, I'll give you or your designee a shout out on the podcast. Help us advance the values of individual liberty, limited government, free markets, and peace by becoming a Cato podcast sponsor. That website again is cato.org slash podcast sponsor. And thank you. This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Tuesday, December 10th, 2019. I'm Caleb Brown. He's credited with breaking the back of inflation in the 1970s as head of the Federal Reserve. Paul Volcker just passed away at 92. At the Cato Institute's Monetary Conference last month, I sat down with Sir Paul Tucker, author of Unelected Power, The Quest for Legitimacy in Central Banking in the Regulatory State. We discussed episodes where politics and central banking interacted profoundly, with particular reference to Paul Volcker. Is it your view that this president has uh, presented a bigger challenge to Fed independence than his predecessors? No. I think President Nixon and his relationship with Arthur Burns completely undermined Fed independence. Do you know there's this episode in the early 1970s and the run-up to, I guess it must be, the 1972 election, when Burns goes in to see Nixon, and we know this because they were taping not just the Watergate stuff, but other stuff as well, and um, they're talking about the economy, and one of, one of Nixon or Burns says, the election's approaching. We better get this economy going. And it's not Nixon who says that. Chairman Burns, um, who says that, in complete dereliction of his duty. But he was under extraordinary pressure. The Nixon White House had, I believe, spread rumors that he was looking for a pay increase, which I think, believe wasn't true. And this had been picked up in newspapers, and his reputation was being trashed. Now, he shouldn't have given way. Um, then in the, we know from Paul Volcker's um, Memoirs. I've known this for a little bit longer, perhaps, that the Reagan administration put, put extraordinary pressure on Paul. This story where he goes to the White House to see President Reagan and Jim Baker when Jim Baker was the chief of staff in the White House. Well, they're not meeting in the Oval Office, um, presumably, Volcker says, because there are no tapes in this other room. And Reagan doesn't speak. And Baker um, is reported by Volcker as saying, the president orders you not to raise interest rates. And Volcker gets up and walks out of the room. And in some respects, you know, I was a central banker for over 33 years, a policymaker for a dozen of them. In some respects, you'd rather the pressure was out there in public than in, than in private. You'd rather it was in public than insidious lies made up um, about you as Burns experienced. But the, I think the great danger now and what makes it distinctive is whether the constant stream of attacks is damaging perceptions of the Fed among the, the public of America, not, not the people in Wall Street or the people, the elites and establishment in universities and in think tanks and things, but just regular people. You know, to what extent must this does this constant stream of criticism lead people to think 
yeah, the Fed, maybe, maybe, maybe there's something to this. He's probably exaggerating, but maybe there's something to this. Maybe they're not doing. And that, that a constitutional democracy undermines its institutions at its very great peril. So I think it does. I don't think it's the worst in answer to your question, but I think it has a particular flavor that could be corrosive. So in private, when presidents lean on uh, the, the, the Fed, uh, you're saying that that may be less damaging, essentially, to the credibility, less damaging to the credibility of the institution in public, but it may be harder to resist if it's in private. It may be it may be easier to resist if it's in public. It may be more corrosive of the standing of the institution with the public. So you know. So how do you evaluate the statement? The Federal Reserve is an independent agency. It is an independent agency. And it's intended to be one. Um, it's meant to be insulated from day-to-day -day politics, not from not from politics per se. It obviously has a mandate given to it by Congress. But why should it be insulated? Whoever holds the monetary instrument can print money, or remove money from the economy, can create waves of inflation, which essentially would redistribute resources around the economy. That's kind of taxing power. So the last people you want to hold that power are the elected executive branch. If they, if the president, or in my country, the prime minister of Germany, the chancellor, held, was in charge of monetary policy, they wouldn't need to go to Congress or Parliament or the Bundestag to get their budget approved. Um, the president could just build the wall with money printed for him. Some new president could give Medicaid to everybody um, with money printed for them. My point isn't about either the wall or Medicaid. I don't have a view on that, either of those things. It's the need to go to an elected assembly. In my country, I think it was in the 13th century, the barons rose up and said, no, no, the king can't tax without representative assembly endorsing it. Um, this, is, this is one of our deepest, deepest values. So the Fed exists independently, in a sense, to stop somebody else controlling the monetary power. And then, faced with that, then you have to constrain the Federal Reserve, the Bank of England, the European Central Bank, so that they do the job that Congress has given them. Can you uh, speak to uh, the relationship between Paul Volcker and Jimmy Carter? Um, no, I know the key story, which is the one where, um, I believe it's the case that when Volcker was asked to go into the White House, um, the Fed was in a mess, um, some, somebody who was being moved out of being chair, who'd done a fairly poor job, and Carter, um, is effectively offering the job to Volcker offering nom to nominate him. And Volcker says, you know, I'm going to be tough. And Carter says, yeah, yeah, I know that. And Volcker says, no, 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 Mr. President, I'm going to be really tough. This isn't going to be a comfortable ride. I'm going to take on this inflation monster we've got. And the president says, yes, yes, I, I do understand that, Mr. Volcker. And Volcker has a third go, um, which actually is quite a dutiful thing in itself. I think he comes out of, I think both men come out of this remarkably well. So, Volcker, as a great citizen, says, Mr. President, you need to know this. And Carter, I think, responds, um, you think you'd be sitting there, Mr. Volcker, if I didn't understand this? 
And if, if most people, I think many political scientists feel that Carter did lose the next election, partly because of the recession that came out of the Fed's policy. It's also, of course, the Iran hostage um, thing. But it's this is a remarkable exchange, actually. Citizen president does the right thing. Um, <laughs> citizen central banker um, leaves the president in no doubt um, that he's the real thing. And Paul Volcker is. Anyone listening to this, Paul's now you know, very old. And I mean, he is a truly, truly great man, a great citizen of this country. When you evaluate the, the history of central banking, of the Federal Reserve, um, you know, what are the things that you see in the in the future that are that uh, you suspect will pose problems for sound, stable money? Oh, I think there's um, two things: one technical, one political, but they merge one into another. The technical one is is that um, because growth has been tepid, interest rates are low. When the next recession comes. There's going to be no reducing rates from five to zero, as we as happened here in two, early in 2009, and as I was part of doing in the United Kingdom. Um, it's going to be from two and a bit down to zero or whatever. So this the the capacity of the Fed to stabilize the economy through a recession, basically bring it out of a recession, is going to be more limited than it has been before. Um, so either it is going to end up doing more adventurous things. I'm not sure what those could be. Because their degrees of freedom in a traditional framework yeah. are much reduced. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, arithmetically, two is closer to zero than five. Um, or there's going to have to be greater use of fiscal policy, which given the system of government here will never be timely. So unless they can in increase the automatic stabilizers in advance. And I think that'd be hard too. So I can imagine a recession where um, it lasts longer and is deeper than than it need be, given the initial cause of the um, recession. That would be very awkward. And the, Fed, the Fed's having a debate about that. Um, and it's having it in public, which I think is splendid. I think this chairman has thought more about how to take debates into the public domain that most of his predecessors. Um, even so, um, the terms of that debate are very hard for, for anyone normal to understand. I've read two speeches given over the last week, and they're, if I may be permitted to say, I thought both were more technical than they needed to be if you really want a public debate with people, interested members of the Public. The other is politics, of of course, which is again on both sides of the Atlantic. One can imagine a certain amount of fiscal adventurism um, coming in, and in some respects, there's more room for that than I'm in my early sixties than kind of almost ever before in my biological lifetime, because long-term interest rates are so low. Um, on the other hand. There are limits to everything, and if, if elected politicians discover the attractions of 
of largesse. Who knows where it will end up? There was a concern following the financial crisis, uh, the global financial crisis uh, in 2008 and 2009 that... Um, and I forget who ex who has expressed this to me, but uh, the concern was that a lot of institutions that survived that financial crisis should not have, and not just banking institutions, but a, a lot of businesses that were involved in relatively unproductive activity. Oh, I think I think large parts of the um, private equity owned and levered up businesses got lucky. I mean, back in the fall of 2007, the most pressing concerns, as I recall them, weren't just about the mortgage market or the subprime mortgage market. They were about the so-called leverage lending market. And with banks being full to the gills of, of these loans to levered businesses owned by private equity. And then the collapse was so great. I think if the collapse had been medium-sized, the normal-sized recession, a lot of these people would have been carried out. But it was so big that, that monetary policy was so stimulus, um, stimulative, interest rates effectively zero, that they got, they got indirectly bailed, bailed out. Now, that, that seems like the exact wrong outcome. For at least at least institutions that are involved in you know un relatively unproductive activity, uh, and um, are either highly leveraged or um, you tell me. So you you I think you just said that's exactly the wrong thing. That, that's too strong. That's too strong. Would you have rather the Great Depression, dust bowl, millions of people? unemployed for 10, 15 years, reversion to barter again, as no, I, happened I, in the 30s. I guess I specifically um, mean that the that <laughs> specifically highly leveraged organizations oh, yeah. got oh, lucky yeah. and bailed out oh, no, that week, in a way that they should not have That been. we can agree on. I mean, it's, it's financial crises are, are hugely costly in all sorts of ways, financially, economically, socially, culturally, politically, even constitutionally. And it takes years to work out. I think we're only not halfway through the adjustment to the last crisis yet. And then one of the kind of one part of that is all sorts of people walk away saved, not because they were sent a check by Uncle Sam, but because the overall macro response um, bailed them out. And but but that doesn't mean. You know, that doesn't mean we should have had a great cleansing. I mean, I think that would be, you could do, you know, in, in the 19th century property owned, owning democracies rather than full franchise democracies, you could have these moments of economic cleansing. And that was because the loss of jobs was, was borne by people who didn't have a vote um, or couldn't exercise their vote. Full franchise democracy changes the terms of trade for monetary policy in that in that sense. But I think people should be tougher. You know, the regulators um, should be tougher on this. I would like to see the Fed be a tougher regulator um, at the moment. Um, if is, that, is that a sentiment you express here at the Cato Institute? Um, I didn't in the speech just, but I would have done. I'm prepared to defend yeah. it. 
Why is that? Oh, I think if if you go back to well, it depends what by regulation I mean equity requirements and liquidity requirements. I don't mean stuff that takes thousands of pages and gets called compliance. I think that's a different debate, which you know what people have different views on that. No, I simply mean that um, if the economy's revival is is dependent, has been dependent on heavy monetary stimulus, well, then leverage is creeping back into the system again. And if rates are close to the zero, lower bound, so that it's going to be harder for the Fed to get the economy through the next recession, as I think it will be, almost likely will be, then banks are going to have to be stronger than otherwise. I was, you know, part of the group of, I don't know, a dozen people calibrated Basel III, the capital requirements of banks. Had I known that, well, let me, put, no, let me put it this way. I don't think anybody in that room would have thought that um, seven or eight years on, growth would be so weak, particularly in Europe, but here, and rates still so low. I mean, this is just a sea change. We didn't calibrate for a world like this. It's a more dangerous world, more fragile, more dangerous, more fragile. Sir Paul Tucker is author of Unelected Power, The Quest for Legitimacy in Central Banking in the Regulatory State. We spoke at the Cato Institute's Monetary Conference last month. Subscribe to this podcast anywhere you like and follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast. 